Hey there, and welcome to episode 13 of We Can Do This. Now, I'm really stoked for today's episode with Arvid Call. Now, if you're not familiar with Arvid, he recently wrote and launched a book called The Embedded Entrepreneur. Now, this was really interesting to watch unfold because what he did was he wrote and launched this book in public. Now, if you're not familiar with the term build in public, this is something that Arvid wholly embraces. With this book, he shared all the meaningful details and thought processes and, and information related to the book with his audience on social media. Now, in this episode, we talk a lot about what that means. He essentially shared his entire book with hundreds of people to offer feedback, comments, criticisms, before he even sent it to the editor, right? So he had really built up an interest in this book, uh, a lot of like buy-in, right? People felt like they were part of this thing, and they were practically co-authors with him. He really invited his audience into the journey of launching this book. And when he ultimately launched it, they were 100% behind him, literally helping him get to the top of Product Hunt on his launch day, sharing with friends on social media, being the first to order the book. People just showed up for Arvid. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk about what this book was about, The Embedded Entrepreneur. And essentially, this story zooms in on a particular part of his journey. And in the wider journey, we learn about how him and his girlfriend started a company called Feedback Panda in just a couple of years, grew that company, and then sold it for what Arvid says is a life-changing amount of money. Now, since then, he's been writing and sharing online about how he did it. And the Embedded Entrepreneur really zooms in on this idea of identifying an audience before you build a product or a solution for them. Now, if you are considering starting a business or creating a new product or launching something new into the world, this is must-listen-to information. It's a completely different approach to what people traditionally think about when they launch a product or launch an idea. And Arvid has some of the best perspective around this idea and some of the best things I've heard from anyone. And I really am excited for you to listen to this episode. So let's jump into this episode with Arvid Call. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Arvid Call. Now, Arvid is a software engineer who turned into an entrepreneur. He co-founded and ran Feedback Panda, an online teacher productivity SaaS company with his partner, Danielle. They sold the business for a life-changing amount of money in 2019, two years after founding the business. He has written the best-selling books, Zero to Sold, and now The Embedded Entrepreneur. And in over a decade of working in startup businesses of all sizes, Arvid has learned a thing or two about what works, what doesn't, and how to increase the chances of building a successful business. So, hey, Arvid, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our chat today. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this interview. And one, I mean, I feel like I've been able to see this live update of your release of your latest book on Twitter, because you've 
really been building in public, like we'll talk about in this episode, but you've been really transparent and really open to sharing everything, your whole process behind writing and launching and releasing this book. So why don't for our audience today who, you know, they might not be familiar with you, would you mind sharing with us a little bit about what did life look like before writing your first book and how that brought you to where you are now? Well, directly before I started writing the book, I guess I was still running Feed the Panda with Danielle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we had started that business in 2017, pretty much as a consequence of her being an online teacher and having a problem. Mm-hmm. But the business was a solution to a problem that we felt for ourselves, uh, namely that she had to do a lot of student feedback, a lot of writing, a lot of administrative stuff after hours and hours of teaching every single day. Like online teaching in particular now, I think with the pandemic, everybody knows what it is. But even in, in 2017, there, there was already this big wave of particularly Chinese companies who figured out, hey, if the people in the United States want to have some money and we have a lot of kids here who want to learn English, hmm. can't we just use the, this technology called the Internet to connect <laughs> them? And they did at scale. They hired thousands of people who just really needed a second or often third job mm-hmm. and had them teach those kids English online. And Danielle was one of them. She had a, a leg injury and she couldn't go anywhere. And she's a, she's an opera singer. She's a trained opera singer, mm-hmm. meaning that uh, you can't really sing opera in an apartment and definitely not do, do any appearances. So she needed to find a, another way of, of making some money. Long story short, she started teaching English online. And with her, we noticed there was thousands of other teachers out there who were doing the exact same job and had the exact same problems, right. namely student feedback. And we built a little tool, me being a software engineer, I built a little tool for her to solve her problem. And then we quickly turned it into a software as a service business, a SaaS, that those other teachers could use. And we only ever really... Uh, we never hired for the for the whole lifetime of the business, which was two years, right? Just yeah. under two years after we started the business, it was at $55,000 monthly recurring revenue. And it was still just in Yale and I, and we had wow. five and a half thousand customers. It was <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Like that was, that was really a lot. And, and when you, when you ask me about what was my life like just before I wrote the book, I can only say chaotic and super stressful because if you don't hire, and that was a big mistake on, on my end, I guess, if you don't hire anybody right. to help you, then all the work's on you. Yeah. So the, the, the reason why we sold, at least partially, was that I was close to burnout and that there was an opportunity to sell the business for Entirely. life-changing yeah. amount of money, which, which is great. And we definitely wanted to diversify our income streams anyway, because at that point, the company was the only really valuable thing that we owned. Mm-hmm. And we you know, wanted to, to make, a, make a change there. But yeah, I was really in the middle of running uh, an, an ed tech business, an education technology business, helping thousands of online teachers all over the world, mostly United States and Canada, because, you know, if you want to find native speaking English speakers, then you go to these countries. But a lot of expats, a lot of people in Thailand, Vietnam, teaching online to make some more money. It was really interesting. And and it is one of those industries that is extremely underserved and underpaid at the same time, like teachers, you know, like every single culture out there, at least the ones that I know, teachers always get really the, the the bad end of the stick they really don't get much money they don't get it's much true. appreciation but everybody needs them and nobody wants to like improve their lives much it's, it's really bad so it was a good market for us to go into and help people because mm-hmm. they really needed help and that yes. that was where i was at at that point yeah well thanks thank you so much for taking a step back and sharing that with us and really for our listeners if 
the story that Arvid is talking about, this whole startup journey for him and really zero to sold, that book covers that whole journey. And there's a lot of intricacies and, you know, the, the tool he built, that's super interesting. So I'd really encourage you to check out his book or, you know, follow him online and, and really get the, the gist of the story. What I find really interesting about it, knowing that story is prior to this point, right? You had, I think, probably about a decade where you were involved in other businesses, other things you were getting going and, you know, mm. found a varying amount of success to that. And this, it seems like this one was really, all right, I think I figured it out. <laughs> yeah, varying amount of success is a good and I guess a very positive way of phrasing it. <laughs> okay? Because I, I failed horribly uh, yeah. a lot of times, like many, many times, because I tried to co-found a couple of bootstrap businesses with friends or colleagues, and we didn't talk to our customers or we didn't know what marketing was and thought we didn't need to, you know, if, if you build it, they will come logic. Of course they will never come. Mm -hmm. So they didn't come and yeah, <laughs> we built it and nobody wanted it. So we had a lot of, I personally, and with other people, we had a lot of experiences learning how stuff didn't work. Mm -hmm. I also worked for, I worked for like a Silicon Valley VC funded business. So I got a little glimpse into that world and, and saw what's happening when, when venture capital is in play. Right. I worked for a couple of German companies, really traditional German software companies, like as German as you can possibly imagine. Yeah, very traditional in, in their approach to business, very traditional in their approach to how to work with clients and how to structure a project. That was interesting too, because I also saw there what I didn't want to do in my future. <laughs> so right. I, I had a, a lot of experiences in seeing how things didn't go the way I wanted them to. And and I also, on the other hand, took a lot of time to learn from people who were doing the things that I did want to do. Mm -hmm. So my, my last actual job that I had uh, prior to starting Feedback Panda in, in 2017 was as a software engineer for a rather modern Internet of Things company in Hamburg in Germany. Mm -hmm. I was living in Berlin in Germany and Hamburg and Berlin are like two and a half, three hours by train from each other. And I commuted to that, to that city three times a week back and forth. And if you if you take five hours a day, three times a week, that's 15 hours a week oh, that yeah. I needed to fill because I was sitting in a train. Yeah. And I was I was listening to podcasts as much as I could. I was like reading books, listening to audiobooks as much as I could, blogs, like, I put them on my laptop because in Germany, between towns, there's no Wi-Fi. For some mm. reason, the only good connectivity <laughs> is in, in major cities. Yeah. So if you ride on a train, there's nothing you could do other than reading or listening to something that you've prepared. So yeah. I, I was really absorbing all this information, just stories, podcasts, people recounting the stories of what they did, what worked for them, what didn't. And I absorbed all of this. And that was after my failed attempt. So I had my personal knowledge of what not mm. to do. And then I had this external yet internalized knowledge from people who shared their mm -hmm. story while it was happening, which mm -hmm. was the first time I really got in contact with the whole building and public movement, even though it yeah. may not have been called that at the time, right. just people sharing their story. And those things together, I just ruminated on it in many ways. And then Moonlighting built Feedback Panda while I still was on my, my job for a year, I guess, was just really a side project. And then once it made a solid amount of money, both Danielle and I, we quit our jobs. Like she stopped teaching and I stopped being a software engineer and we went full time on the business. So that's really where it came from, that, that the success is many, many failures and the added knowledge of people who shared their successful path in, for, in the form of advice or just stories, just mm -hmm. their own adventure. And yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's one of these overnight success stories 10 years in the making. Yeah, that's that's how I, I look at it, because there's no overnight success. There's always right. this often hidden, but extremely important stuff that comes before.
Yeah, which is interesting. I know we'll get into because a lot of people don't get to see the hard work beforehand. And yeah. there's a reason people don't see the the, the hard work, right? Because we typically yeah. are pretty closed doors, right? We don't share the failures. And one of yeah. the reasons I Arvid really wanted to have you on the podcast is knowing that you had this, you know, this decade beforehand, you have failures to actually talk from. And I know mm. we hear a lot from the successful stories, and we tend to not hear what comes before it or, or the hard yeah. lessons learned. And so really excited to dive into this today. And even you sharing that story of you on the train, right? And you're listening to podcasts, you're reading books. I know that there's people that are listening to this podcast specifically who they're doing the same thing, right? They're listening, they're reading, they're trying to like gather all of this knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important that they hear both sides of these stories and hear the actual experience of uh, someone who found this level of success and reverse engineered and said, how did this work? And how can I actually extrapolate a lot of teaching from this? So I think this is a perfect point to, to jump into a little bit about what you've been writing about recently about mm -hmm. your recent book. And would you, yeah, would you share with us like, because I know people are probably listening to this and dying to know, like, what are these <laughs> necessary steps to building right. an audience around your business? Right. So, so when I wrote Zero to Salt, my first book, I, I really wrote about everything. Right from from the start, from your first, I want to build a business stage in your life where you feel like, okay, now I'm I'm done with this full time job thing, and I want to see, can I start a side project or what what whatever you want to do, right? You mm -hmm. always have this initial decision up till our last moment owning the company. That's the whole book, and that's 500 pages. is is a lot of stuff, and people read it and they told me, hey, this is all great, and here's a question because I, I read all of it and it makes perfect sense, but how do I start? <laughs> what what is this initial okay, point? What's step one? And in, yeah, what's step one and how can I do this? In in the book, I talk about how you shouldn't start with an idea, but you should start with an audience. You should start with a group of people that you want to serve and empower and then look at what problems do they have? How can I even help them? And then figure out through which medium, what, what means can I help them with? What's the solution to their problem, their most critical mm -hmm. problem uh, possibly? And then only then do you start building anything, right? Then mm -hmm. comes the product. But it's not like that you start with the product and then you try to stuff it into a market. I see that too much. I see that way too much that people are very solution driven. Yep. They're very product driven. And as much as it's probably fun for if you're a software engineer to build yet another thing because you can, mm -hmm. and because also because you've been taught that everything is a solution waiting to happen, at least mm -hmm. as a software engineer myself, that has yep. been my experience, right? We were always focused on, okay, solve this problem. What is the problem? about? it doesn't really matter. Build a solution. <laughs> you know that 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 has that's always been a like a, a mindset problem, and I've been shifting that toward okay, who do I want to help? And then I'm just gonna listen to them. And then once once I figure out what their problems are, I'm gonna talk to them. Another scary thing for software engineers, and figure out okay, so how critical is this really? What have you currently been doing? And how do you have even have money to pay for a solution? You know the, all these questions that are actually super important if you want to build a business, because if you just build a product. You have not built a business. It's one of those big, big mistakes that people make in this field, which is why I've not just written one book about it, but now a second one that really only focuses on the parts that that doesn't that even involve the product. Yeah. They involve all the steps before. And um, if you build a product, just really quickly, you have not validated if the product actually solves a problem. 
Yeah. And even if it solves a problem, you haven't validated that it's actually critical enough for people to have a budget for. Mm -hmm. And even if it has that, you don't know if there are enough people out there to actually sustain your business. So here yeah. are three things that you have not validated by just building your, your product. Right. And the business needs all three. And you need to be really sure that all three work, particularly if you want to bootstrap your business, if you want to use your own money, mm -hmm. if you don't have like millions of venture capital because right. people think, oh, this can be the next Uber or, you know, if, if it's just a little tool for people in a particular niche market, well, mm -hmm. you better figure out if there's enough people in the niche that can support you building a business for them. Yeah. So the whole idea of the second book that I wrote, The Embedded Entrepreneur, is to understand your audiences, your target and future audiences by embedding yourself in their communities. Mm -hmm. That is, that is the, the main concept of the book. And it starts with what I call the audience discovery process, where you figure out who are the people that I actually want to help. Yeah. Because we, we always have this, this notion that we are supposed to help the people that we're professionally involved with. Hmm. Software engineers, they write tools for software engineers. Right. Writers, they write books for writers. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always this, oh, I know this group best. So I'm just going to produce the content for this group. Marketers market to other marketers. You have this so much. If you ask somebody, particularly people who are entrepreneurial, what product, what business are you going to be building? Mm -hmm. They're always going to try to stay in their lane because they believe that this is their comfort zone, mm -hmm. which it might be, but it's actually not that clear. As a person, as a human being, you are part of dozens, if not hundreds of groups and communities of people. Mm -hmm. Many of them you are aware of. In my case, that would be, I, I'm quite sure that I'm a software engineer because yep. I can code. I'm quite sure that I'm a writer because I've written stuff today and people yep. have read it. So suggest that I'm a writer. I'm also an, an entrepreneur because the stuff that I have out there pays me money and I don't have to give it to anybody else but the tax man. So yeah. that makes me an entrepreneur. And, you know, I, I like dogs and I like fish. Mm -hmm. So I know that I'm in the pet owner community. You're a podcaster yourself, right? Exactly. And, yeah. and that's podcasting. And I love listening to podcasts. I love watching people on Twitch. So I'm a fan of online gaming. You know, there's yeah. all these communities that I'm part of consciously. But then there's this whole other group of potential communities that you can build for, that you can build a business for, that you're subconsciously a part of. And that is just go through your day. You wake up and look around. What do you see? You go into your kitchen and what is the first thing you do? Do you get a fine tea? Do you get like loose herb or loose leaf herbal tea? Because yeah. you're like a tea aficionado and you have like this whole thing where you do like spend 20 minutes on your tea and you have the per perfect temperature or do yeah. you just issue that and, and go to oh, right hey, to your that's coffee me with coffee. Press, that's me. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. exactly the, the example that I wanted to talk about. Like people who really spend a lot of energy and focus yeah. on getting just the right coffee. Like you have the perfect yeah. setting for how fine the beans should be ground and yeah. like all of that. Well, you're not alone in this. There's literally hundreds of thousands of other people out there who do the exact same thing in the morning. Exactly. And all of them very likely have shared interests and maybe shared problems and maybe even budgets for solutions to that. Yeah. And the more you are aware of that and to which communities you're already part of, or you could easily join because you know the stuff that they're interested in, the more opportunity you will find. And that's why I start, right? Figure out this audience. And then I, I have this little guide in, in the book that just allows you to rank them by how much affinity you have, how much opportunity is in that community, how much appreciation do they have for paid solutions, and then how big is the market. And once you rank them all, of course, the book goes into detail, but don't want to bore you with those particular details now. Once you rank them, you have a couple of really interesting potential audiences. And then you go there. 
You go to the Facebook groups they're in, you go to the Twitter community, to the LinkedIn groups, to the online forums, to their clubhouse, is that still a thing? To their clubhouse <laughs> chat rooms. You know, you go where they are and you stop talking. You don't even start talking. You just stop talking and you, you start listening. You observe what people are talking about. What language do people use? What problems do they talk about? Where do they ask for help? Where do they seek recommendations? Where do they wonder what alternatives to existing products are? And you start tallying those things and writing them down, like meticulously doing a data-driven analysis of your community. And a couple days, weeks, months, depending on how active your community is, later, you will have a pretty solid list of critical, commonly shared problems that people have tried to find solutions for and that are just yearning to find something or somebody who does that for them, who helps them with this. Hmm. And sorry for only now getting to the audience building part, but from there, you start becoming an expert in the community. You interact with people, you talk to people like you would if you were, I don't know, a chess fan and you would join your local chess club. If you are not good, if you don't have a high rating, in the beginning, you look, you watch, you see how other people play, and you might play against the lower ranked or lower rated players and talk to them and see what they can teach you. And then you ascend, people see you like every Wednesday when chess club meets. At, I don't yeah. know where if they still do that now, but you know <laughs> you can do it online as well. And there are yeah. lots of communities there. It's an interesting interesting space. You, you, you become a, a regular. You become mm. a person, a peer, a, one of the tribe. And... Any tribal community respects people who put in time and effort to forward the goals of the community. So by showing up and by playing with those people in your chess club, you become somebody who helps the chess, chess club exist. So if you then, as an entrepreneur, at some point talk to people about maybe building a tool for them that mm -hmm. could help them or writing a book, an info product for people at a certain stage, you know, like it doesn't have to be a software tool. It could be anything else. Yeah. Make a course on, you know, how to, how to grow as a chess player. People will start listening because they respect you, not because you're marketing to them, but because you're actually yeah, helping you them with something yeah. that they need. Yeah. You get them. Literally, you get what they want. Yeah. And that, that, act of building a reputation as, as a peer, as a person in their in-group, trying to help them further their own personal and the community's goals, that is what marketing should be and has been subverted into people just yelling at each other, yeah. right? But, oh, but that's yeah. really not what marketing is, but that's what I always thought marketing was, which was yeah. why I never did it. But now <laughs> that I'm in a community and I'm actually seeing that when I post something from my book, just a little excerpt or a chapter from the book, I, I put it on Twitter and then I have dozens of people telling me that this is exactly what they needed right now. Mm -hmm. That validates everything for me because I know, okay, I wrote something that not only is actually meaningful, it is also valuable. These people mm -hmm. wanted this and by buying the book or buying, I don't know, like if, if I had a paid newsletter, <laughs> don't, but if I had it, they would buy access to this information. So it's mm -hmm. valuable to them. Yeah, And this is, Marketing is showing people the value and allowing them to purchase it from you, yeah. right? Which, yeah, that's what audience building is about. So it's not about marketing, not saying I make this, but it's about what I call selfless self-promotion. When you say mm -hmm. I made this for you and then giving to other people and building up this almost involuntary reciprocation that people really have to give back to you at some point. If you've mm -hmm. given them so much yeah. over weeks and months, and haven't asked them to pay for anything. The moment you put something out there that they could help you with, that they could pay you to, to give them, they will be on it and they will support you in your efforts because they want you to succeed. You're one of them. They yes. want to succeed. They want you to succeed, the community. They will make sure that you succeed, which is why there's such, a, such an incredible value in an audience that actually mm -hmm. trusts and believes in you.
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how you build yeah. it. You just show up. All right, there's such good stuff right there. We could talk, man, we could really unpack some of this. But I think, I mean, what stands out here for me is one, that this can often be a stumbling block for a lot of people who they say, hey, I want to serve blank audience. And in the back of their head, there's already maybe this imposter syndrome or what do I know about teachers, for example, or what do I know about this other industry, right? That I have the right to tell them or, you know, there's, I can see that in the back of people's heads, right? And mm -hmm. to use myself as an example is I'm like, very not formally trained in a lot of the things I do in the communities I'm involved in, right? I was a, I was a philosophy student, you know, like mm -hmm. nine years, like, I work in very different industries. I do a lot of different things now, right? And a lot of the people that I talk to, they'll ask me, you know, where, oh, where did you study marketing? Or where did you study A, B, or C? <laughs> and I just, I have to laugh, right? Because I'm not, oh, that's funny. I, I, I don't have the formal training. And yeah. uh, a lot of the people experience me, like you said, talking the language, right? No. They're like, oh, this person understands. They must have some sort of formal experience. And it's, it's just not the case, right? So, sorry, but when you're saying, where did you study marketing? Well, in the communities. Like yeah. you started marketing in reality exactly. where it yeah. happened. Yeah, right? it just wasn't in the way that most people would imagine that training or that studying being yeah. done, which is so interesting. And so I think, like you said, and just because I'm familiar with some of the other things that I've heard you say in the past, is you don't want to get stuck on this step either. You don't want to do audience discovery for two years, yes. right? Because then you'll never get around to building something. That's right. You the amount of time started. that it actually takes to embed yourself in the community may not be a four-year education, right? It yeah. might be it might look a lot different. It might be joining specific Facebook groups. It might be yes. having conversations with certain people. It could be less intimidating than it sounds, right? Yeah, it's also very self-directed. Like there, there's nobody who can tell you exactly where to go or exactly who to talk to. Mm -hmm. that, that itself is almost a self-discovery process because you need to understand how to understand. You go into a Facebook group and then you just look at what happens, which is why the beginning is usually good just to observe and, and mm -hmm. see who's talking a lot, who is quick to respond, who is already an expert in the community, who are the people that I could follow to learn from the quickest and to see like who they respect and who they interact with most just to build this little knowledge graph. I mean, we, we all have this. It's, it's, it's so funny to me that you, they say you're a philosophy student because I am a <laughs> philosophy student too. I went to, and I dropped out of university twice, once, once yeah. for computer science and once for philosophy. Sorry yeah. for that, but I, I still learned a lot of stuff. <laughs> I, I didn't go the full nine years, but I certainly went a long way and just to understand what knowledge is, like the, mm -hmm. the, the actual structure of logic and of knowledge that mm -hmm. itself was incredibly interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> because the moment you go into a community, you see, like literally see knowledge being accumulated and dispensed and distributed within a community. And you know how, how it is. Every every message has a sender and a receiver. So the message is interesting. You have, the sender is interesting because they have certain qualities, but also the receivers are interesting because they also have certain qualities. And if you just look at a whole community and how they communicate, there's so much incredible insight in there about just really what, what is their day-to-day -day life look like? What problems do they have? What challenges do they have? How often do they surface? What are things that people talk a lot about, but really don't care? It's just like a, one of those topics, you know, that everybody talks about, but really nobody wants to change anything about. And then yeah. there's these little things that barely get noticed, but they're really critical. You get this by just watching, by observing. Mm -hmm. And that, that alone is really um, an interesting thing that you can do a long time before you actually start building a business. 
Because like most of us, like I said, are already part of many communities. If you were to talk to me about, I don't know, Twitch, like the online video gaming streaming platform, yeah. and talk to me about the um, specific psychosocial behaviors in Twitch chat, <laughs> which is a, a whole ecosystem yeah, of how, how people sure. communicate. It's super interesting. And I could go into detail for hours on this, but and 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 that's not because I studied it. It's just because I've been part of it. You know, I've been in this ecosystem so much that I could tell you like what streams attract which people and how they communicate, how much respect or disrespect is in those communication channels. And, yeah. you know, like all of this is very interesting once you actually try to solve problems for people. And for many of us, we have this innate knowledge, just sports fans, like, you know, how the fans of a certain club or a certain sport interact with each other. Mm. If you like hockey, hockey fans are different from like football fans or from like volleyball fans, sure. you know, like they all have a different approach on how they socialize and how they communicate. And this is innate knowledge because you just grew up with it. But it's also knowledge you can actually leverage to reach them and talk to them in their language once you actually have something that you want to share with them. Mm. So that behavior you can do and you probably have been doing in many ways for, for many, many years. Now it's just the time to actually put that into data points that you can meaningfully use to validate or invalidate business assumptions. Mm. <laughs> That's the only difference here. Just yeah. target it. Yeah. So help help me with the pace here because there's a certain point where it's okay once you've embedded yourself into these communities to begin speaking up, right? Yeah. And there's certain points I imagine that it's time to begin identifying possible problems and let's say problems that mm -hmm. this community is experiencing. And I imagine you have to, there might be multiple, right? So you're like, there's, three to five critical problems I'm noticing that are experienced by this specific audience. Now, how do I choose which one of them do I want to really tackle? Like once you're in these communities, when is it okay to begin really speaking and bringing up some of these things that you're, mm. you're hearing and, and dialoguing about? There's one central thing here with the most important thing. It, it doesn't really matter at what point you start talking about it. It, it. The only only really, you need an entry point at which people already know that you're part of the community, right? Mm -hmm. you, you have to have chatted with them. The people need to know your name yeah. in a certain way. Yeah, and an outsider alien. just popping in and yeah. You're, you're an insider, you may be a newbie, you may yeah. be a, a learner, but yeah. you still are part of the community. Yeah. Once you're there, you can talk about almost everything as long as you contextualize it within the community and within the actual experience of the people in the community. Hmm. So let's say you, you're talking about, you, you want to build a business. You don't go in there and say, hey guys, I want to build a business so you can pay me money. That just doesn't work. And nobody, no sane person would do this. Yeah. Yet, <laughs> I see this so much in, in communities where people just ask, hey, what's your most critical problem? I want to build a business. <laughs> the idea is nice. The execution is the worst because yeah. you know, like that's not how you get people to trust you. Yeah, and the first impression is huge. You want to involve people. You want to yeah. be involved in people's lives and you want to in, uh, involve them in, in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So you reach out to people and you you really ask them. So so you've been talking about this. I'm quoting myself here, I guess. Like you, you say, hey, I saw you. You complained about X, whatever. You you had a problem. Like you Every two months, you have to fill out the sheet or something and it takes you a week. Mm -hmm. Wow. Why is that? Or um, um, why does it take you this long? Do other people get, do it faster or does everybody do this? You just involve people and you start talking to them about their lives. You know, people love talking about themselves and they love sharing <laughs> things that they care about because, you know, we that's our life. We only know our own lives. Everything else yeah. is projection or hearsay, whatever. All we know is us. So when somebody asks us to talk about us, amazing. 
now I can tell you the truth that I know. And I will <laughs> tell you the truth that I know because you just asked me. You, you yeah. show interest in what I what I have to say. And people will tell you. They will tell you, oh, yeah, I have to do this report every two months. And it's super complicated because I have to pull data from like five different data sources. And only three of them have some sort of export function. For the other two, and this is just a completely made up example here, but the other two I have to click like four times here. And then I have to send this to my email. And then you know that that comes this whole story about how complicated it is to get to a certain goal. And you have all this, this this rich information about the current status quo and the workflow of a person that you can easily, if you're either technically inclined or you have a co-founder or want to find a co-founder that is a technical person or you want to use no-code tools or just whatever it is, however you technically solve the, the challenge, you can probably quite easily solve that particular challenge by just using the right tools in the right ways. Mm. And you talk to people about their challenges and you start helping them. You start saying, okay, so this part is, co is complicated. Have you tried this? And then they will tell you, yes, I have. And it sucked. Or they will say, no, <laughs> let me look into this. And then a week later, they will say, hey, I played around with this. I didn't really understand how to do it, but thanks for the idea. Like you start helping them, like literally trying to, to get their problem solved with them for them you become the agent of change in their lives. It's not that they need to change to, to use your tool. You help them change themselves and change their own workflow. And it becomes an interactive thing. You actually build a report with real people having real problems. Yeah. And if you either you do this through direct messages or like in a the, in the public way in the forum, I don't know, you can do it in Facebook groups and replies and stuff. The, the medium doesn't really matter. What matters is the connection between mm -hmm. people that have a problem and you who wants to solve that problem. So that is what it is. The context of people's real experience, that needs to be there all the time. Don't just talk about your wild business aspirations, which you can always have. It's fine. It's fine to want to make a business for money. That's how the world works. And even if you want to make a business that is, that is a nonprofit, mm -hmm. it still needs to make money to sustain itself. So yeah. money is not a problem. Right, money is a solution in many yeah. ways. Uh, yeah, it, it's a necessity. So what what you really want to focus on is figuring out who you want to serve and try to serve them in like in their presence as much as you can, and that will do two things. First, if you're going to find a solution to the problem, which at some point you could turn into a business, mm -hmm. and a business is nothing more than a repeatable process of selling a product over and over again. Right. right. So. Once you find a solution, you can sell it over and over again. There you go. You have a business. But what it also does, it attracts like-minded people to you and your product. Mm -hmm. And I say explicitly to you as a person, as a, as a helper, as a supporter, mm -hmm. as a pe person that is empathetic and shows that in a public forum where they help other people solve their problems. That's incredibly powerful to build this brand as a person that is helping other people. And that will attract people that like to be helped. And that will attract people who like other yeah. people who help other people. Yeah. There's a lot of benefit in this. Yeah. And yeah, you can do this over time and you will do this over time because you should never stop talking to your audience or your customers. Yeah. So by working in public and just extracting information and extracting people's problems in public, you get to, to have these feedback cycles, feedback loops that are incredibly tight because mm -hmm. you're right in there. Right? It's not that you're the CEO of a business with millions and millions of dollars and you hire like a head of marketing and the head of marketing hires a VP of marketing and the VP hires a, a team lead marketing. And then in the marketing team, somebody is doing customer discovery. <laughs> it's like five levels of indirection <laughs> and whatever they talk to customers about will never reach the CEO. Uh, if you are one of those people that is in the community, you will hear everything 
at all times. You're going to be right in there. You'll be able to understand people's problems as they occur, when they change, you know, all of this stuff, which is so important to have a close feedback loop with people. That can only happen when you're part of their communities. Absolutely. And I think this is a perfect segue really into this topic of building in public, which I know that you are a huge proponent of, right? And you do this so well online. And that's really how I've been able to to really see you on the internet and experience what you what you've been building, what you've been working on over these past couple of years as I follow you. So tell us like what exactly is building in public if someone's never heard even that phrase before, right? It, it's <laughs> called different things. People right. have been doing it in different ways for a while, but we've seen this phrase, this hashtag, right? Building in public yeah. for right. for a while now. So what is that exactly and what does that mean to you and how have you been able to do it throughout this cycle of your business and the releases of your books? Okay, well, so building in public is sharing your entrepreneurial journey every step along the way. That's what it is. And I I'm, I know it's really not the best definition. I'm still working on a better mm -hmm. one internally. Yeah. But it's you are on a journey. You want to help people and you want to build something that helps people. Mm -hmm. So instead of just building it and then giving it to people, you share the whole journey in a sense of that you share every decision that you find interesting or that other people might find interesting, other founders or your audience, your particular customers. Mm -hmm. You share your milestones of your business, like when you reach certain goals that you wanted to reach or when you have certain failures, which are also milestones, like we learn from everything, right? So anything that happens to you and your business, any choices you make, any interesting progress or items of progress that happen in your life, you share. An example for me would be with the book, with the, the Embedded Entrepreneur, I chose to not just talk about the book in public, I chose to write it in public, which is the ultimate building in public, I guess. Yeah. So when Very I announced the book, I think it was in October 2020, because I had, yeah, uh, two or three months earlier, I had released my first book and people really liked it. And there was a lot of feedback. Like I told you, people were telling me, hey, talk to me more about this audience stuff. I decided, oh, well, I guess my audience has spoken. I'm going to talk more about audience stuff, right? They wanted to know how to build an audience and how to build an audience-first business, an audience-centric, audience-focused business. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, if that's what most people want me to write about, apparently my readers would really like that. So I said on Twitter, hey, go write this book called Audience First. It's going to be about how to build an audience, um, how to find your audience, and how to find their problems. Here is a website where I've outlined everything that I want to see in the book, all the questions that I will ask myself and respond to in the book. If you have anything that is not there yet, just tell me and I'll add it into the book. People yeah. really like that because first off, they, they saw the beginning of something new. And you know how it is when we start watching a movie, we're excited. We know that there's a journey. We know that the journey is very likely similar to the journeys we've heard before, but it's mm -hmm. still going to be uniquely interesting to us. Yeah. And there, there's this initial hope, initial wherever you want to go. Just remember Lord of the Rings, right? You get need to get the ring into Mordor and there's this whole thing in front of us. Well, that's interesting because you know where the ring needs to go. You know where you're not, which is Mordor, and you know yeah. where you are, which is the Shire. <laughs> yeah. So now, like, who who is going to go there and which adventure are they going to have? Yeah. And that is essentially what building in public is about. You share your adventure as it happens. You share which other hobbits join you. You share which mountains you walk over and which cities you visit along the way just because it's interesting to people because either they are on their own journey and they want to see what can I learn from this other person's journey and which is usually a lot. 
because we all teach each other in the particularly in the entrepreneurial community. But even if they're just your potential customers, they want to see, hey, is this person trustworthy? Who is this? Why are they building this? And these questions are completely and immediately alleviated and answered the moment you share your journey. Because if you want to build something that changes the world for a particular audience, and you talk about it, and you cannot stop talking about it, you have been talking about it for years, it's not too hard to see that you're actually trustworthy, and it, which is what building in public is. And I've been doing this with the book. Like I said, I started with this outline. Then I invited people to tell me what they wanted me to write about. And a lot of people did this. I invited people to to edit the book with me, essentially. I, I wrote a, a manuscript in the, the month of January 2021, from uh, January 1st to the 31st, I wrote the manuscript. Um, which was 50 some thousand words or something. I don't, I don't really know. It was a lot of writing. And then I took this and put it online and invited people and, t- and told them, hey, look at this. I wrote this for you. You wanted me to write about this. Now, please take a look at it and tell me where it sucks. Tell me where it doesn't make sense. Tell me where something is repetitive, where it's slow, where it's not clear. Just please look into it. You're going to get access to this book for free before anybody else gets to see it. It's just please tell me where I can make it better for you. Yeah. That was that was the idea. Yeah. And I, I think I had 550 readers, alpha readers who went through this book and gave me a, a lot of insights, a lot of often conflicting, but still interesting yeah. ideas and, and responses. It was great. And I essentially collaborated with all those people in editing the first draft. And then it wasn't 550 in the beginning, it was like 50. And then I invited 50 more to the next version of the draft. I think mm-hmm. I did four or five rounds of this collaborative editing. And then I sent the book to an actual editor that went through and did some proofreading and some mm-hmm. more contextual editing and another proofreader, which was also professional. And they all both came back with 3,000 changes each so that was fun <laughs> and what what was the result was a book that was extremely actionable huh. and contained to this day zero typos because a couple hundred people read it and looked into it yeah it, it really it made it made a big difference because people told me hey remove this whole chapter it doesn't make sense it doesn't help me yeah. i want a book that helps me from the start yeah. So everything that you find now in the book has been vetted by hundreds of founders Man. who were exactly where yeah. the reader that i want to reach is and told me that this helped them or didn't yeah so that's that's where this whole process came from so building in public isn't just sharing how much money you make this month which i also do it's also part of right. it right i yeah. just a, a couple of days ago i told people that for the month of june 2021 from amazon i think i'm amazon i made like 2500 euros mm. in book sales mm. i share this because I want to A, encourage other people to write yeah. and tell them how hard it is to actually make some meaningful amount of money yeah. as a writer from yeah. these platforms, but also to show the people who are invested in my journey that it's starting to pay off, mm-hmm. right? Because people like with Lord of the Rings, if, if you watch the, these three hour movies, or I guess all nine hours <laughs> or 10 ish, 10 and a half hours of the extended edition, which I highly recommend have, watching have... a couple times, you invested. You're invested in Frodo, you're invested in the, the people in the movie, yeah. maybe even in the, the narrative itself. But if for, for a building public person, you're invested in the founder, you want mm-hmm. to see them succeed. And you will help them succeed because when I launched the book on Twitter this year, and must have been May 19th, I think, I launched. Just a tweet with a little video and a couple of um, tweets following on explaining sure. what, how the book came to happen and stuff. And thousands of people helped me out. 
they retweeted it, they they liked it, they they shared it with their friends. The, the next week I did a product hunt launch and it went to number one for the whole day. People helped me, shared, uploaded it. The, yeah. the amount of people in my community that wanted to see me succeed was incredible because they've been along for the ride. Yeah. They wanted to see the, the happy end, right? They wanted to be part of the, the, the group of people that it. made the happy yeah. end happen. And that's what building public really yeah. allows you to do. I mean, one, I think that was a great explanation of building in public. I think it's uh, a good one-on-one course for anyone who's, this is a new topic for them. In just mm-hmm. a few episodes uh, ago on this podcast, we were talking about some of the loneliness that comes into being a founder, being an entrepreneur, especially if you're working on these projects in this like solo fashion, right? Yeah. And that, I think what you just finished with right there is such a good realization for people is knowing that people want you to succeed. Like people actually care. Like get the strangers on the internet (laughs) that have never spoken with you. They don't know you. They don't know your family. They don't know you outside of, hey, you're working on something that alleviates problems for people. These people want you to succeed. And by opening the book a bit, sharing what you're doing, sharing the problems, the struggles, the successes, all of these things, people are willing to come along for the journey and they actually want you to succeed and specifically seeing your launch of the embedded entrepreneur and launching on product hunt and you know this essentially tweeting a lot about this process right personally it was so amazing to see the community support around you and around this book knowing that this is something that you really care about you're coming off the success of the company being sold the the previous book and knowing that this isn't just like a money-making scheme for you, right? Like opportunity, it is something that you deeply care about. And you're actually writing, like you said, for people. You're writing for people that you know are ready to read. The yeah. other thing that I and thought with, was... Re- with people. Yeah. With people too. Sorry for interrupting, but I'm writing for and with them. With people. And I think, and, yeah. and that involves them. That makes it, contextualizes Entirely. it for them, which yeah. makes it a whole different product as well. Yeah. And you, uh, correct me if you're wrong, you self-published the book. Yeah. And I'm thinking I have some friends that have written books that, you know, have gone through publishers and things. And I understand some of the expectations that these publishing companies are really looking for in their authors and the books that they're distributing and things that traditional publishing and publishing houses think about like your community is doing on your behalf, right? So I'm imagining these publishing houses receiving a book that is like, oh, this has been edited, but oh, how many people? <laughs> oh, how yeah. many people are waiting for this book to come out? No typos? <laughs> we haven't found a typo yet. Like this is just like a dream come true for like a traditional publisher. And then you were able to circumvent that process and do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And from the looks of it, I love your screenshots of your phone when these notifications are coming in through not just Amazon, but these different, these other platforms as well. And yeah. People are purchasing this book. So it's very, very cool to see how this building in public journey has both instructed people, taught people about these things, but also led to the success of this book because you're doing it with people. You're the author, yeah. but you have a whole team. Yes, exactly. And 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 I I feel that they are a team. I'm, I'm, I feel like one of many, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a peer and I want to be a peer. I don't want to be standing on a soapbox telling people what to do. I really don't enjoy that. I mean... I love going on on uh, shows and talk about what I want to talk about, obviously, yeah. which is soapbox-ish, but I, I don't want to talk down to people. I don't want to talk at people. I want to talk with people. Right? That's, mm-hmm. to me, for me, that's a big difference to be in the conversation, not 
dominating the conversation. I want to have a conversation and I want to mm-hmm. see how I can bring myself into the conversation. And that works best with a big community of people that I care about, obviously. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned other platforms. So you were mentioning those, those screenshots. Yeah. Gumroad, for example, is one yeah. of these platforms. And Gumroad does what Amazon does not in being available everywhere, essentially. So Amazon, you you only really have a couple countries. You have like the European countries, you have the United States, Canada, New Zealand, India maybe, there's Mexico still, Brazil. And then you have a problem. Because if you have a person in Kenya who wants to buy your book and you, you self-publish through Amazon, they don't have a, a print-on-demand system in Kenya. So if you are Kenyan and you want to buy a, a paperback copy of my book, you don't have a problem. Because you can't. So if you are in Kenya and you want to buy an ebook version, like a Kindle, you also have a problem because they only sell that in other stores, in the US store, in the German store, French store, but not in the Kenyan one. So for these people, you need to have alternative methods because I want to reach a global community. I know that I have I've literally have followers in, in hundreds, 150 some countries. Wow. I have people who bought through Gumroad from, yeah, I think over 100 countries. And yeah, Amazon is only in like 13 or 14 of them. Yeah. So knowing that means I, I actively need to make sure that what I want to have reach, what I want people to be able to see and consume needs to be both affordable, which is why the book is only 10 bucks, so that even in India, where 10 bucks is quite a lot of money for, for people, particularly if they want to start a business and you know don't have much money to do that, it needs to be available. So these, these platforms, both Gumroad and other print-on-demand services that you can order through bookstores, mm-hmm. I think it's Ingram Spark is one of those things. These are really important to the journey. And as a, as a self-published person, you need to be aware of these things and you need to learn them to be able to reach all, all the people out there. Yeah. If you had... Um, a publisher, they would likely take that work off your shoulders. But funny enough, I've been talking to a lot of people who've been publishing through regular means, through actual mm-hmm. publishers. Yeah. Turned out they still had to do all their marketing because the publisher is what they say. They publish your book. They, yeah. they create it. They turn <laughs> a, a tree into your book. Yeah. And then they ship that dead tree somewhere yeah. to a store and put it on the shelf. Mm-hmm. But I know that most of the people that I want to reach, they don't even go to bookstores. They have a Kindle <laughs> and they sit in front of their computer all day building a business. They don't have yeah. time to go to a bookstore. So yeah. my audience you know, is not a traditional books audience, even though it would be nice to have the book on a shelf sure. somewhere. I, I don't need that. I don't yeah. need that distribution mm-hmm. like necessarily. I want it to be where people need it. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it. And I, I love that you mentioned, like, let's say, for example, Gumroad specifically is online payments and e-commerce has traditionally been like a closed closed gate thing, right? You you need to be someone like yourself, like a a software developer to accept payments. And fast forward, you know, to this era that we're in now where Stripe and a lot of these other tools allow us to build these platforms, specifically Gumroad makes it very accessible to people all around the world to accept payments. There's a big theme of no code actually really empowering and creating a lot of accessibility for people to actually create solutions to people's problems, right? And if you're one person, you know, maybe a a solo founder and you're embedding yourselves in these communities and you've listened and you're like, I I think I'm onto a problem that they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And traditionally, again, there's 
usually some complications into building solutions, right? There's typically a technical problem, knowledge problem, typically a resources problem, right? Funding or people or access to developers and things like that. But no code actually really does provide this opportunity for people that have identified a problem, the ability to have more leverage to use some of these tools to empower them to actually create these solutions. Maybe not the final product necessarily, but maybe just a minimum viable product that they can even share with this audience that they've been discussing with, having conversations with, right? And say, is this something that would solve that problem? And gather that feedback. So share with us a little bit about that, because I know you're also a very strong proponent of, of no code and to create solutions like this. So talk a little bit about that. No code is wonderful. Like no code really, it's still code, right? It, it is it is tools that are built with code. Yes. It's just that they're usable to create more tools that are built with code without needing to know how to build with code. Yeah. Right? Yep. That's the wonderful thing about no code is that it's, it's actually, and it's been around for a while. Like back in, what I, I remember uh, when I was young, <clears throat> there used to be a thing called Microsoft Front Page and I think Macromedia Dreamweaver or something. Yeah. Like, Tools where you could just click together a website. Obviously, yeah. back then, the, the web as a technology wasn't as interactive and dynamic mm -hmm. as it is now. But you could still create a website very easy without Same knowing principles. HTML. Yeah. Same principle. It's just really drag, drag and drop, like put something together. It's actually yeah. how you would write a Word document or, or design an Excel sheet. You just like sort stuff and then it would be a website. <laughs> yeah. Those tools exist now in a much better form, in a much more interaction-based and a much more data-centric way. And they're called no-code tools. And the one great thing, or two great things. One great thing is they're usually very cheap. And mm -hmm. because people who built them understand that people use them as prototyping tools. Mm -hmm. So there's always this initial tier for any pricing, which is usually free or extremely cheap. Like think of maybe five bucks a month for a tool that way you can have up to 200 paying users until you need to start paying money. Like right. that is the logic. And mm -hmm. usually once you have a paying user, they probably pay you more than five bucks a month. So, you know, yeah, it, 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 works uh, out. it turns out to be a, <laughs> a, a yeah, positive situation. So most no-code tools have the very easy entry tier. They are always easy to use. That's the whole idea behind no-code is that they are usable by people without a technical background. Mm -hmm. There is often an interesting community around them, people who help each other learn how to use these tools mm -hmm. or at least very well-designed resources. Again, because they understand that the target customer is not software engineers, but people who have other things to do, you know, yeah. like people who have a different, come from a different backgrounds, who do, are not technical, but are interested in building a technical product. That's one thing, cheap access tiers, easy access tiers, and usually well-documented. Second mm -hmm. thing, and that's maybe the more important thing, is that all no-code tools that are successful in the market are highly connectable. Mm -hmm. They are highly interconnectable with each other. Yeah. either directly, where you can integrate one no-code tool into another. And they, mm -hmm. they usually have I don't know, tutorials to do that. I'm just thinking about like member space, which is a, a tool, a no-code tool, mm -hmm. which, which allows you to have people sign up for accounts and immediately charge them to pay you money through a credit card. Yeah. You know, like having a, a membership system, a plug and play membership system that yeah. you can plug into any other no-code tool. Yeah. So it, it's just a little tiny snippet of code that you need to copy from one place and paste into another. And then it's done and it will work forever because yeah. they take care that what you copy and paste it is always 
correctly working with all these tools. So right. that's one way of integrating stuff with each other. And then there's these in-between glue tools like Zapier or If This Then That or, I don't know, Integromat, just yep. a couple names here, that are like literally tools that have an input and an output. And you can connect anything to the input or an output. Let's say something changes in my uh, Google Sheet, a new row gets added, mm -hmm. it sends a Zap and Zapier. And then on the output is... Um, send an email to that person. Mm -hmm. Send this message to that name, to that email address. All completely automated. Yeah. And that is something you can connect all those tools with each other. You can say, oh, an email comes in, add a, a line to my Excel sheet. Or, you know, like somebody clicks a button on a website, start this like email chain or redirect them to this thing. It's, it's highly interconnected. And these tools are there allowing you to interact any tool with any other tool, super powerful. And that would have been something that even for a seasoned programmer a couple of years ago would have been extremely complicated. And often you would have to pay money to even be able to access them. But with those no-code tools hmm. and those glue tools like Zapier, you could just like plug and play, uh, put them all together. And then you have a system that is highly automated, highly resilient because mm -hmm. it uses these tools that you didn't have to build yourself, yeah. but somebody else did. Yeah. And that, that in combination allows you to build websites, mobile apps, just info products, courses, you know, all these yeah, kind of things it. just from a website where you just pull, pull it all together and then you connect it. It takes some time to figure out how to do this right. Yeah. But, you know, any meaningful, valuable product takes some time to build. Mm -hmm. So uh, at least you don't have to learn how to code for three years. How about that, right? <laughs> or, or, or even more for, for certain kind of technologies. Yeah. It's, it's, or it's hire an amazing someone that does. Or pay thousands of dollars yeah. for somebody who might not even build the thing you wanted because you don't even know how to phrase it. Exactly. You don't know how to monitors. communicate it. Yeah. So no code is a great way of building your initial prototype or even the actual tool itself. There are tools out there that are exclusively yeah. no code, making yeah. millions a year. Yeah. Just it is, it's out there. So. Yeah. It's a great tech. It's a wonderful. Yeah, thing. and I love it. So to con to connect that to what really this idea of the embedded entrepreneur is like, you, you touched on obviously the affordability and accessibility of these tools, but also like the speed, right? Like the ability for you to create something that didn't exist. And yeah. let's say one week, two week, four weeks later, depending on whatever solution this is, right? Yeah. Now you have something that didn't exist and now it does and it works. And you can share that with someone on the internet or in these communities that you're talking with. And they can say, just like you offered your book up and say, hey, tell me all the things that are wrong. They can do the same thing. Hey, it works great. Or hey, this is actually pretty close. But if you fix A, B, C, or D, I'd pay you money for this. Yeah. Then that is this validation idea that we're talking about where some people, they have that thing that exists, but they skipped all these steps. And now they're like, it exists, the product's there, I don't know who needs this, or no one might need it. Now, what are the gymnastics I have to do to make this something that I could convince someone to... Yeah. You, you it's, create it's a, a lot of work. Yourself, right? Yeah. So this process that you've outlined for people, let's say if you're a listener of this podcast, you're like, I've had an idea for actually a long time now, but I haven't really known how do I... I need someone to tell me if this is a good idea or not. And I need the right people to tell me if this is a good idea or not. Who are those people? How do I communicate with them? And once I have maybe some sort of 
validation, this product market fit idea, this audience fit, right? Now what? Oh, maybe I can actually build this thing, get it in, in, in into their hands. So a lot of really, really good stuff here. I read them. I'm really excited for your book. I know there, it's going to really help a lot of a lot of people, maybe save people, like you said, this decade of frustration of saying yeah. there are things that they were going to try and it might have fell flat. But actually, this book actually allowed them to course correct a little bit. So I'm really excited about that. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Is there anything that uh, we haven't talked about today that you'd like to share before we close? Oh, hundred thousand things. <laughs> what maybe one thing. When I when I sold the business, like I, I, I said earlier, I was stressed. I was anxious. There was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of mental health challenges that I was facing because I was just overworking myself and I, I didn't have any backup. And it was also like we were living in just the two of us here in Berlin and family was far away. It was it was a stressful time. And I I felt that it, it did some damage to me that it took me a long time to repair and had some physical consequences that I'm still sometimes suffering through. Hmm. I have a, a slight PTSD whenever I hear this little chat bubble sound on websites uh, because that, that reminds me of support tickets that came yeah. in when, when we had trouble with our business so that there's still something that on occasion comes hmm. through. What I want to want to say here is that when you are on your entrepreneurial journey, you're not alone. If you feel alone, then um, that is your mind tricking you because mm. there's so many people out there who are willing to help you, willing to listen to you. You just have to go to where they are. You just have to join their communities, start talking about yourself, go to them, uh, communicating with them about their journeys and bringing yours into the conversation. You're not alone and you definitely can find people who can help you because they've been through what you are currently going through. No matter if it's good or bad, like people will always be willing to help because the entrepreneurial community, we know that bootstrapping is impossible by mm -hmm. definition, right? You mm -hmm. cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm -hmm. There needs to be a support system. Mm -hmm. And the community is that support system if you want it to be. Yeah. Make sure to be with people, talk to people. If you feel like you can't handle it mentally because it's stressful, reach mm -hmm. out and talk about it. Do not yes. eat up this stuff. Make, yes. make sure you're mentally healthy because your journey as an entrepreneur needs you to be aware of your mental health and to be healthy both in mind and body. Mm -hmm. So make sure mental health is not a thing on the sidelines. It's a central thing. Mm -hmm. I just want people to be aware of that and talk about it. Yes. The good and the bad. Yes. That's important. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's that's really, really important. And I know that is something that gets left out of the conversation too often. So I, I really appreciate that. Arvid, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Very excited about your book. If anyone wants to get in touch with Arvid, follow Arvid on Twitter. You're, you're not going to have a hard time finding him. You know, search <laughs> for the books, search for from on Twitter. You'll, you'll do okay. We, we trust. But I'll also include those links in the show notes. And also on your upcoming move to, to Canada, you'll be coming over yeah. on my side of the ocean. So um, excited to have you over here when that comes. But again, thanks so much for being on the hot podcast and hope to talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Uh, it was really great. Thanks for having me. Okay, what an awesome episode with Arvid. Man, I've been able to follow and connect with Arvid online for probably the last couple of years. I've kind of seen this journey unfold with him writing Zero to Sold and then now The Embedded Entrepreneur. Now, he really is as thoughtful and as genuine as he appears online in 
real life. That was just such a really great conversation and interview. And I know there's a lot that we can pull from this episode and really begin implementing. I mean, that idea of identifying who you really want to serve, who you care about, what kind of community you really want to embed yourself into, and then taking a step back and just listening. I mean, that is something huge right there, right? Just what it really takes to get involved in a community enough to build trust with them before you begin to pitch or sell something to them, right? Really, really great stuff here. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, I highly suggest you go and purchase The Embedded Entrepreneur, either on Amazon or Gumroad. All these links are in the show notes. And then definitely follow Arvid on social media because he really practices what he preaches, right? You'll see this often in real time, this idea of building in public. Now, if any of you begin to jump online and start practicing this idea of building in public, let me know. I'd love to hear about your experience, beginning to share about your ideas and be a bit more open with your audience as you continue to build it. Be a little bit more transparent and kind of pulling back the curtain and letting people see what you're working on and what you're really excited about. I know this is something I need to do better in sharing about the things that I'm working on, the things that I'm building and building an audience around that. And really this podcast is a big part of that. I want to begin to share with you what I'm working on as I build this podcast and build this community. That's something I need to practice better. So Arvid is a big inspiration when it comes to that. Now, thanks again for listening. And if you want to support the show, the best thing you can really do is rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes. Let us know what you thought of this episode. And I would love to hear from you. So thanks again for listening and I'll see you next week.